Welcome to the Culture Proof Podcast. We're your host, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And today we are asking the question, where does secularization begin? I will just let you know, it's not where we think. For far mm. too long, we've been looking at what's going on with our kids and looking at what's happening in the culture. And we have thought that our kids are being secularized by the culture outside of our home. Mm -hmm. But there's new information that is being brought to light that would suggest that the secularization is actually happening at home home. Wow. And so and, and I feel like in a way we have always known this. I feel like in a way this has been something that we have always been wrestling with, but now it's sort of like unavoidable or undeniable. Well, I think the thing is a lot of times we have put it on out the outside influences, like even school. And so, but it starts right under our roots. So the thing is, the thing is, you know, yes, secularization probably is happening at the schools and things like that. But it's the the on ramp for it begins in the home, mm -hmm. you know, and because we're not taking care of uh, what's happening in the home, that's just an addition to what's going on. Yeah. So here are four things we want to look at. And by the way, this is going to be a two parter. So just to let you know right off the bat, um, we're not going to be able to get to all of the content in one episode. So make sure that you follow up for episode two, because there's just so much to cover. One of the things that well, there are four things that we want to look at. Uh, number one, our preteens and teens are leading the rejection of truth in America. When we look at the secularization of this country, far too many of us are looking at the politicians and saying, why can't mm. we just get good men and women in office, people who are principled? And one of the reasons is because they don't exist. And the reason they don't exist is because they're not coming out of our homes like that. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's, it's chilling, but it's just a yeah. reality. Number two, parents are not discerning. The manifestation mm. of the rejection must be glaring for it to even be noticed by parents. So when we're saying so we have a problem. Something big to even get on the radar. Yeah, like the kid has to actually declare, um, wow. I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. Because wow. apart from that, most parents, according to the information that's out, and we're going to talk about it, mm -hmm. most parents think their kids are believers and love Jesus. They just don't discern. So we've got to discuss that. Number three, mm -hmm. this is not new information. Mm -hmm. Ken Ham, back in 2009, published a book, Already Gone, where he looked at the fact that we were losing our young people. Yeah. So I look at this and I go back to 2009. And in fact, I pulled the book in preparation for this episode because I'm thinking, wait a minute, if we had just taken seriously the information that was presented to us back in 2009, that's 15 years ago. Mm. So imagine you have a 10 year old back then. That kid is 25 now. Wow. You have a 12 year old. That kid is 27. OK, so what what I'm saying is when we think about the information that was already out just even in recent years, but. A yeah. while back, yeah. we had enough information to stop the hemorrhage, and we didn't. You know, the thing is, I, we were not not doing research at the time, but I think we saw uh, that happening even in our work in, on campus uh, campus ministry. Correct. In campus ministry. Yes. That there were Christian children that came to the campus, but it, it was like, man, we thought that there would be the... You know, just insert. They were going to be leaders. Be leaders. Yeah. But man, they needed more discipleship. And this was in the 90s. Yeah. This was in the 90s. And in fact, the information that we have in front of us that we're going to talk about today looks at the kids from the 90s. Like these are the kids mm. who were walking away. These are the kids whose parents were not discerning and did not recognize what was going on with them. Then number four. And this is what I, I hope will be 
encouraging for us that we have actionable steps to take to stop the hemorrhaging of the faith in our children. Like, this is not something that is fatal. This is not something that we should look at and say, well, I mean, I guess that's it. I guess we've done all we can do. Let's just kind of, we who remain, let's hold on. No, we can fight for our kids and we can get the truth to them. And and we should endeavor to do that. So we're going to look at all of those things today. Um, Buckle up, man. The information is stout. And in some ways it's going to be very like, you know, chilling to us because there is a certain responsibility that we have mm-hmm. that we have not taken. Yeah. And so it's going to be chilling. But again, there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is reliability and complete dependence on his word that never, ever fails. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, before we do that, we want to get a little bit of the culture proof housekeeping out of the yes. way. Um, hey, can I just say thank you so much for rating this podcast? Thank, thank you. you. You have shown up for us and you have rated this podcast. You've left comments and we appreciate it. Would you, if it's a blessing, would you continue to do that? Mm-hmm. Would you continue to leave uh, a review, continue to leave a rating? It just helps to get us on the radar of people who would be interested in hearing conversations about culture, conversations about family, biblical worldview, all of those things. Um, that helps us get the word out. So would yeah. you please continue doing that? And thank you so much for that. And also share the episodes if you have a chance. Uh, these episodes have been uh, blessing you. Uh, please share with friends, with family, with whoever, you know. Um, we just really uh, appreciate you sharing the content. We're really just here to help to strengthen the body of Christ, and that's our desire. So as you share Culture Proof Podcast, man, man, I, I just think the, the reach is going to even go further and further. So thank you so much for that. Also, we appreciate your financial support. You have um, shown us an incredible amount of love and encouragement by way of financial support. This podcast is possible because of sponsors and also you, the listener, who you say, hey, I want this to continue. And so you've given to it financially. Thank you so much for doing that. If you're listening and you say, hey, I want to support what you guys are doing. I have the means by which to do that. Then you can go to cultureproof.net cultureproof.net. And um, you can support us ongoingly. You can make a one-time gift and those gifts are tax deductible. We really do appreciate your support. Thank you so much for leaving comments, uh, but please continue to do so. Even on our Facebook uh, page, if you're following us there, we're reading those comments. We're trying yes. to respond as best we can. If you're leaving uh, inbox messages, we're trying to respond as well. But leave comments even under the uh, the podcast. I see those comments coming in under our podcast. And so, man, we really appreciate that. We really appreciate the engagement yes. that you guys are engaged. Thank and you. And so we're hoping that this content would also move you to action. Oh, one other thing I want to say before we jump into our content for today. Um, If you recently purchased a Culture Proof shirt and you received that because uh, Will the Great just shipped out like a haul of T-shirts to people who purchased them. (laughs) Yeah. Would you please tag us in your social media feeds? Like if, would you post yourself, post a picture of yourself wearing those t-shirts and tag us in it? We love to see people unapologetically declaring that they are culture proof and doing Mm. that by means of wearing a t-shirt. I think that's so fun. So we would love to see it. We've already gotten some um, messages uh, where people who received their shirts this past week were like, hey, got our shirts and they're wearing them and their kids are wearing them. And I just think it's the coolest thing ever. So if you are one of those people and you recently received your t-shirt, shirt uh tag us you can tag us on instagram you can tag us on facebook i don't think you can tag people on youtube but if you can then do it (laughs) if you know something that i don't know 
then would you do that? <laughs> All right. Um, again, more information available to you at cultureproof.net. Yes. Cultureproof.net. Join the resistance. Um, those are the people who sign up for our mailing list. Um, we've got, we're praying through the, the way we can expand the use of our mailing list yeah. by even writing some pieces to kind of follow up or take us deeper into some of the conversations that we're having. So just be looking for that. But you can learn more about that, again, by going to cultureproof.net. Yes. All right. Where does secularization begin? Mm. So let's just lay the groundwork. We kind of have already done that, but just kind of toggling back to it. We have thought that our kids get secularized when they leave our homes. Mm. And yeah. we, we even believe that we saw the evidence of that, but there is some information out that suggests we are missing some things. So I read this article over the weekend and um, I was lit. <laughs> Of course, many people would say, but it doesn't take much, Miki, like you're, you just, but especially when something is speaking my language or communicating a point that I've been trying to communicate and, and I, and I go, I knew it. I knew this is what I felt. So yeah. this piece um, I found over at the Institute for Family Studies and it is secularization begins at home. It's written by Lyman Stone. Lyman Stone also wrote the piece, um, Why Americans Stop Believing in God, where he was looking at the great decline that's happened among the generations and how it's just one generation continues to secularize a little bit more than the next, a little bit more. And so it just kind of continues on almost like a, like a stair step type of thing. Right. Mm. So I was reading this piece and, Oh man, it was so chilling. I'm mm. going to read a great deal of it. And of course have a conversation around it. I am also going to bring in some scripture as will the great and I discuss this and look at what we may do as parents and grandparents to stem the tide or to stop the hemorrhage of faith in our children. Okay, so here we go. This is Lyman Stone. Again, we'll put the uh, link to the article in the show notes. Whenever we discuss an article, we want you to go and read it in its entirety. And so we're going to make sure to put a link in the show notes so you can look for that. Uh, beginning here, religiosity in America has been in steady decline for several decades. However, in recent years, the pace at which Americans are leaving church behind has dramatically accelerated, as documented in the new book, The Great Dechurching, which, by the way, I have that book. I started reading it and I need I'm going to continue, but I'm I'm kind of in that phase where I'm like reading a couple books at, at the same time. And so I need to I need to. I guess just focus, but I'm, I'm interested in that. So Lyman Stone takes some of the information from the book, The Great Dechurching, and he says that the book kind of is ignoring young people, right? Mm. So here's what he says. He says, The Great Dechurching uh, devotes the vast majority of its attention to the experiences of adults or most individuals transitioning into adulthood. In almost every single vignette of the book, people who lost their faith lost it as adults. Although one chapter near the end discusses per parenting and childhood, it mostly does so in the context of describing what happens when children leave home. To read The Great Dechurching, one might suppose that Christianity is declining in America because adults, after considering a range of different concerns, decided church just wasn't for them. But by basing their book on retrospective surveys of adults, Davis, Graham, and Burge overlook one essential descriptive fact about religion in America. Now, this is where we all want to lean in, okay? Most of the decline in religion is actually among children and virtually all of it among people under age 22. Mm. 
secularization or what they call de-churching is happening among children and then trickling upwards into the general population as those children age. The essential facts suggest that any story of secularization in America has to begin with home life. What changed for children born in the 1980s and 1990s that they never fully absorbed religious belief as children? Now, let me just pause here. Okay, this is so glaring to me, right? Because one of the things that we often are lamenting, as I said before, there's a problem in our culture. How can we just turn our nation back around? How do we get people back to the place where they believe in God? And we're looking right. at the adults or we're looking at the politicians and we're looking at what's going on on Capitol Hill. We're looking at what's going on in media. We're right. looking at what's going on in Hollywood. Right. But again, these people were once kids sitting around our table, as I often say, eating grits. That's right. That's but right. They were partakers of bacon. If, if, <laughs> if, you, if you eat bacon. Okay? Right. But we ignored them. There was something that they didn't get, and then they grew into adulthood having already rejected the faith. Man, to me, when we talk about these things, it's it's another confirmation, and we all know this already, that the Bible is true. It talks a lot about how families should conduct themselves as far as the rearing of the children. Mm, That's good. Man, if we will follow the word of God... As Christians, we would not be in this situation mm-hmm. because there's scripture after scripture after scripture about how in the home the gospel is presented. You know, that's the that's the on ramp to the gospel that the commandments of God are, uh, you know, heeded. That because of the way that the parents are living and teaching their children, the children are going to ask questions of why do we do this? Mm, there yes. are discipleship mechanisms in place in the family, and since we've gotten away from that and even outsourced that work to others, now we have these problems. Man, you are exactly spot on, Will the Great. In fact, this is what the information is suggesting. And it's crazy because what you're alluding to here, the outsourcing aspect of what you're saying, Mm -hmm. goes back to what Ken Ham was saying in 2009. He looked at even Sunday school, and we're going to talk about that. He looked at Sunday school in church, and based on Barna research back in 2009, Mm -hmm. found that, that church, the way we were conducting it, including Sunday Sunday school was actually failing our kids, that our kids were more prone to reject the faith, more prone to reject the truth of God's word when they attended Sunday school than when they did not. Man, and so we talk about 2009, and something that came to my mind was like, okay, so that was a clarion call back then. So what happened? Like, are we just not listening? Is this material not being presented to families? Mm-hmm. Because that's year. That was years ago. Yes. It, when Ken Ham wrote this book. 15. And so the thing is, so what has not happened yeah. to get us to, to this point? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> you know? Because again, if you're doing the math, if you had a 15 year old back then yeah. and his or her parent picked up the book already gone and said, okay, hold on a second. We need to do something differently. Or even if you had a youth pastor mm-hmm. who picked up the book already gone back in 2009 and had like 15 and 16 year olds, those kids today are 30 and 31. Wow. Wow. Okay, so now you think about what marks they are leaving on culture, on, on society, what marks wow. they are leaving even on the church in America because of what they believe or, and which is why we're talking about it as problematic, what they don't believe. Mm. So to your question, why didn't we employ the warnings or why didn't we take it seriously? I think it's twofold. And I think you're picking up on this by saying that maybe there was just a lack of awareness. Yeah. You know, I think even back in 2009, because I, I would say that um, 
the Creation Museum opened in 2008, right? So I would imagine that back in 2009, Ken Ham may not have been as much of a household name as he is now. Mm. So I would imagine that there were not very many parents or even youth pastors who would have been aware of this book. Mm -hmm. You know, it was still sort of like growing influence in America. I would say that Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis has way more influence now in American culture, certainly in Christian culture, um, with the the success of the Creation Museum yeah. and the success of the Ark Encounter. Yeah. But back in 2009, just a year out of the Creation Museum, maybe not so much. Yeah. Well, you know, I would, I, I have an even like scarier scenario. It could be also the Jeremiah, the prophet effect, mm-hmm. where he was preaching and teaching and saying, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is where we are headed. But there was a stiff-necked people even the people that didn't have a repentant heart that was like, ah, oh, it's not going to get that bad. Oh, you know, and they had false prophets saying, oh, no, we're not we're not going to be there, you mm. know, and that effect could have have been in, you know, in place as well. Wow. I hope not. But, man, you know, that's a that's a place where you can be where you're stiff necked and you're hearing the truth and it's being proclaimed. But you're like, ah, nah, it don't take all of that, man. You know, to your point, that is a scarier proposition like to to think that the warning was heard but it went unheeded because there was just a dullness there that just a refusal to believe that it could happen um i'm inclined to think that there's probably more of that than a lack of knowing the information out there Mm -hmm. and 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 i think that is scary i think that is something that is a warning for us today um i really hope that people who listen to these two episodes of the Culture Proof Podcast will take them seriously. And I hope that we'll put in the work. The Lord has not left us just to ourselves, right? Amen. I hope that we will be stirred to action. I hope that we'll share it and 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 hopefully provoke godliness and a response, a biblical response in parents who would listen. Um, but it is really chilling to me to think that the information was out there, but we just didn't believe it was true. Looking at the Bible's historical record, <laughs> That is likely one of the options, right? That the information was out there, but it just was not heeded. It's possible that one of the greatest obstacles to homeschooling is confidence. And there's nothing like the fear of math to zap your confidence. CTC Math has taken that into account and designed an incredible math program that takes the fear out of math. Parents can relax knowing that CTC Math is partnering with them to teach math. With clear and complete video tutorials and summaries, this math program ensures that your child actually understands the content before he or she is asked to practice it. CTC Math is also interactive and it adapts to your child's needs without the child even knowing it. This builds confidence and proficiency. Maybe CTC Math is the answer to your prayers. You can find out by going to ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. You can try the program without risk for an entire year. And if it doesn't deliver the results you expect, CTC Math will provide a full refund. You heard me right. You can try out CTC Math for an entire year without risk. And if it doesn't meet your needs, you can get a full refund, no questions asked. Check out our friends at ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. All right, let's get back to Lyman Stone's piece here over at the Institute for Family Studies where he says um, the secularization begins at home. 
Surveys of children are rare back here to Limestone, but at least two large cross-sectional surveys of children have asked about religion. They are the Monitoring the Future Survey and uh, P, I'm sorry, 2019's Pew Survey of Adolescents. So looking at Monitoring the Future's long-running question about how important religion is to teens, two things. First, it shows two things. First, that kids tend to downrate how important religion is to them throughout high school. And second, children have grown a lot less religious in recent decades. Okay. Um, let's, let's kind of break this down, looking at where the decline started to happen. And then also I, I cannot ignore looking at the way parents process the decline, because that is the thing that I just kind of want to, um, like lovingly come alongside parents and put my hands on their shoulders and just say, <laughs> listen, mama, please don't take your kid just, you know, sitting in church for salvation. Mm. I want to say, please don't mama take your and daddy, mama and da well, you can put your hands on dads. <laughs> yeah. I'll put my hands on <laughs> right. and just say, yeah. Hey sister, like, can, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, and it in a loving way. And I, I do, I do genuinely mean this in a loving way. Like right. just to say, girl, listen, <laughs> Your baby is not saved just because he or she is sitting in church. Mm. No more than your baby standing in the in the lobby of a Chick-fil-A makes him or her a nugget. And the crazy thing about that is I think that's been said so often. I think I think today's Christians should understand that concept. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think it goes beyond that. I think I think Christians know that, but I think there's a laziness in implementing what what's needed. Yes. You know, to make sure that this is happening. Yes. You know, because it's been, it's been, you know, nor is the broad that, Hey, just because you're bringing them to church, don't mean that they're in Christ. Mm. But I think that that hasn't connected really exactly with the right. activity of discipleship. You are exactly right. And it's interesting because Lyman Stone kind of alludes to this a little bit, that there has been this thought that if we just kind of do what our parents have done, if we do what their parents did, and that's bare minimum. That's keep them in church, mm. keep them in church. Yeah. Then we keep them in the faith. And what we have found is not only is that not true, but we actually haven't done what our parents and grandparents have done. And I would say grandparents and great grandparents for our generation, because wow. our generation, generation X, there was an incredible decline in religious conviction among our parents and also the exemplification that the word of God is trustworthy. What I mean by that is living it out. Mm. So you saw incredible rates of divorce yeah. for generation X, right? So these things have a sort of a trickle down mm. effect in the way kids believe that the word of God is to be trusted and applied and lived out in our life. And also you got to think, I'm thinking about my upbringing. I didn't know anything really about discipleship until I got to college. Mm. That, so my parents thought that it was important that I was in church and I learned a lot in church. Praise God for them keeping me in church. Amen. But the culture was not where it is today. Even I, I, I wasn't unscathed, but the culture has increased in this wickedness. Like there's more ways to like draw, you know, people into sin. Like there's yes. just, And so I think we're trying to use yesterday's methods of mm. I just bring them to church. I just make sure they're in church and the youth pastor is going to make sure that they are in Christ. Which by the way, can I say, so we're trying to use yesterday's methods and those methods Didn't were really ineffective. Work. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I'm saying now, but up against today's culture, up against today's culture, they're really not going to work. Like, and I think we're going to see even more the manifestation of what happens when we have those type of attitudes. Absolutely right. So back to Lyman Stone here. In every year since 1991, 12th graders were more likely to say religion was not at all important than 8th graders. Mm. Before 2010, 
10th graders were very similar to 8th graders, but now 10th graders are more similar to 12th graders. So that means that our kids are secularizing at, at earlier an age. age. Wow. Yeah. Earlier ages, we find our kids mm. saying, mm, religion's not all that important to me. And so again, and, and stick with us here wow. because Lyman Stone is spot on in his conclusion in this article, what has happened and how parents need to be vigilant. All right, back to the article. Lining up the data by birth cohorts instead of survey years, about five to 9% of kids shift into saying religion is, quote, not at all important, end quote, to them between eighth and 10th grades. So we're talking 13, 14, 15 years old. Right. Right. Now, we got to think about that because look at those kids who are under your tutelage right now. Mm. If you're a grandparent and you've got grandkids who are, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th grade or 8th, 9th and 10th grade. Right. Look at them and start to ask hard questions of yourself. Have I influenced them in the faith? Have I pointed mm. them to the truth of who the Lord is? Am I living that out in a way that is discernible for them? These are vital questions in the development of our children. Wow. Back to this article. But even more striking, in 2021, almost a quarter of eighth graders said religion was of no importance to them. So that number kind of skyrocketed from five to nine percent to almost 25 percent of mm. eighth graders saying, hmm. Religion is not really important to me. How is that happening? And and something that Lyman Stone is going to point out, and we'll get to it. How is that happening while these kids are being raised by parents who say that religion is important to them? Hmm. How is that happening? All right. So here we go. Could it be that children or child secularism is rising because parents are raising their children in a more secular way? Lyman Stone says it's unlikely. Okay. A 2019 survey by the Pew Research Center surveyed parents and children about religion, including children ages 13 to 17. The results of this survey was actually that parents perceived their children to be more religious than the kids actually described themselves. Wow. Now, let's just kind of work this back here. Based on what? So we, mm -hmm. so we would say, it, yeah, that's mm -hmm. the question, right? Yeah. We would say, well, the kid is secularizing because the parent has secularized. However, the parent still sees himself or herself as religiously engaged, still sees himself or herself mm -hmm. as inculcating religious beliefs into the hearts and minds of their kids. At the same time, the parents believe this. The kids are saying, mm not so much. So could it be that the parent is handing down a secularization that they don't even know that they're because they've been secularized <gasps> as well, but they don't even know that they're they're thinking they're in the faith and really like oh my goodness doing the job, but what they're handing to the children is secularization. Will the great Addison? Let me just tell you this: that is such a poignant observation. When when we start to talk about what faith, quote unquote, mm -hmm. we are passing down to our children. We do ourselves no favors in dulling down what we actually are living in front of our children. It is mm. one thing for Man. you to say something to your children. It is one thing for you to carry them with you to church. I mean, every pastor you probably have heard over the years, especially if you are like 35 and older, okay? You heard the pastor with the joke, growing up, I had a drug problem. I was drugged <laughs> to church. I was drugged to prayer. I was drugged. <laughs> and still right. it didn't work. 
Man. And still it didn't work. And why? Because what wow. we are finding is that our kids are not only observing what we say or listening to what we say, but they are watching what we do. They're observing what we do. So they hear it and they want to see that it's lived out. If you tell people, if you tell young people mm-hmm. that the word of God is reliable, that it is worthy to be applied to mm-hmm. every area of our life, right. and then you don't do it, right. you create a conflict in that child's mind. Wow. You say, well, well, then maybe the Bible is not applicable in all areas of life. The Bible is something that I take with me to church on Sunday. Mm. It's something that I pull out on Wednesdays. And if we have a special youth meeting, then, okay, maybe I'll bring it then. But if I'm not living this out every day, then I really don't have a robust faith that I'm passing down to my children. Wow. So, yeah. So it's based upon really what we're believing and what we're showing to our children, yes, which is biblical as well. It starts with us. You know, even in Deuteronomy 6, like it must be in your heart first. That's right. And then you teach mm, them diligently. So you know, it has to be first in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so if that's not happening, man, what they, what, what they are receiving is not the real deal. Yes. Looking at this survey, the Pew Research Survey from 2019, uh, they found that there's little change in child self-reported secular, uh, secularism mm-hmm. between ages 15 and 17, but there's a big change between the ages of 13 and 15. So let me just pause for wow. a second there. If we are going to be um, focused on ministry to children, I think a lot of times we think of like the middle schoolers and maybe the preteens. We kind of think, well, that we don't need to focus on that. We need to get those high, high schoolers, school. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the information is showing us now that once they're high school, okay, well into high school, they've already arrived at a position. Man, look. So they have already <laughs> secularized at that point. This is why we need to begin way before middle school. Yes, like absolutely. Like it should be, you know, a feature in our homes that we are doing catechisms with our yes. little ones. I mean, Look, Timmy, two years old, That's he's right. reciting scripture that we, are, are, you know, go through every night. He, they're capable. He's, you know, and so the thing is, even if they're not born again, like, I think we can begin to feed them the word of God, put them on the track to understand and that this word is getting into their hearts. Mm-hmm. And at the, the appropriate time, the right time, you know, I believe that Timmy will see, receive Christ, you yes. know? And so the thing is, I we can't even wait till middle school. That's right. Man, we should be in the habit of like our toddlers. Like, how can I get the word into them? You know, I, one of the questions I had as I was reading this article, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on it, because as you look at the information where you've got parents, 10 to 15% who say that religion is not at all important to them. Meanwhile, you've got the kids upwards of almost 24% who say that religion is not at all important to them. So there's a huge divide between what the parents assert and what the kids are asserting, mm-hmm. but also a great divide between what the parents believe that the kids are asserting. Mm. This to me is a discernment question. Yeah. Why, why would you think or what might be the reasons why parents are not discerning the secularization of their kids? Do you think it's just that we don't want it to be true I and therefore we, ignore it? I think we don't want it to be true. In some in some cases, I think parents really believe that they're doing the, the job, you know, like they really believe. And so there's no discernment there because they're totally off on mm-hmm. that, you know. And so maybe they feel like, well, you know, this. I think some feel like this worked for me. And so I'm going to do the same for them. But then we, we made the point that the, that everything is like going faster. Like mm-hmm. the, the culture is even more wicked. And so I think hmm. when you, when you are uh, in the word and you are uh, being discerning, you're able to see 
where, man, this didn't work. Mm -hmm. Even in my life, even though I was in church, Mm -hmm. this didn't work. But I think those connections are not being made. I also think that our churches are not equipping families to be able to to do this as well. At home. Like at home. Yes. To teach them that this should come uh, out of your home. Like this is not just the the job of the church. Like this is your job. This is the job that God has given you as parents. I think pastors have to preach that and make sure that the the people know that number one is in the home, you know, and if if you're not preaching that, if you're, if you're like, well, just bringing them over here to the youth, Mm -hmm. you know, the children's church or whatever, you know, we'll take care of them. Then man, they're missing a a huge piece of what God has created them to do. Mm, Man, that's so good. And, and I, I, I would question what we mark as relationship with the Lord Jesus. Like, like Mm. what are our aims? You know what I mean? Like if you, if we're going to say that there's been a failure in transmission, then I think there's a big question that what are we transmitting? Like, what do we want to transmit? Mm. And I I, I wanted to say this to the end, but of course it's going to be a two-parter. So we'll have to go back to it, but I want to make sure to say it in this episode. The question is, what do we want for our kids? So for example, I don't want our kids to just regurgitate religious facts. Right. I don't I don't right. want them to just know scriptures and memorize scriptures alone. Of course I want them to do that, but I want them to know Jesus Christ. Amen. I want them to have an undeniable encounter with him that leaves them postured in such a way that it doesn't matter how many people turn away from Jesus at his hard sayings. I'm thinking of John chapter 6 here mm. that they would declare No, you are the way to eternal life. We believe and have come to know that you are the true and living God. Where else are we going to go? Mm. And I think when you look at secularization, if we have our kids trained in such a way that that is their conviction, Mm -hmm. right? Then the reality is it doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. They are not going to depart. Let me, let me just, um, kind of sidebar for a second here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you look at what happened in John chapter six, Mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus with his disciples, there were many who were following him. Um, In in John chapter six, the Lord had performed a miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And then the Lord kind of uh, tucks away, if you will, from these people. They follow him to Capernaum, right? Because, and the Lord says, because of the fish, right? (laughs) Because because you've you've come because of the fish and the loaves that you partook of. And then he starts to describe himself as the bread of heaven, Mm. that he is the bread that if you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, okay, that in this you have life. It's not in just what you feed your body, right? Mm -hmm. But it's what your soul needs to be fed. The Bible is very clear that in John chapter six, verse 66, many people went away saying, this is a hard truth. (laughs) Who can listen to it? Right. Who can listen to it? But what happens as a result of this, as a result of this, when, when many of the disciples, and, and by the way, I think it's so important to recognize that the Bible actually describes them as disciples. Hmm. So these were not casual observers of Jesus. No, they were following after Jesus. I want to read this. I'm going to start in John chapter six, and I'm going to look at verse 51. And and I want parents to just kind of think about this. Like when we say what we desire for our children, what is it that we desire for our children? Mm. Do we want them to make us look good among our counterparts? Right. Do we, do we want to be able to brag on their religious convictions? Or do we really want them to know the one that we know? That's yeah. that's my aim. I, I know the Lord Jesus. I know the Lord Jesus. 
I know things about the Lord Jesus. Yes, but I know the Lord Jesus. And I want my children to have that same kind of knowledge, that same type of intimacy that they would be unwilling to walk away from him. So here is John chapter six. I'm going to start at verse 51. The Lord says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh or eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Can you imagine as they're listening to this, they're like, like what? No. <laughs> Cannibalism? No, we can't. So this has to be spiritually discerned. Yeah. This has to be understood yeah. by the Holy Spirit to understand what Jesus is saying is that he is life to man, mm. that he is what sustains man, right? <laughs> so verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats of this bread will live forever. It's obvious that this is a spiritual principle. Yeah. I say it's obvious, but thank God for the Holy Spirit, Amen. right? Okay, I don't I want to downplay the Holy <laughs> Spirit. Okay, so here we go. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, notice that they are called his disciples, mm -hmm. okay? Many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. So even among the, the disciples, mm -hmm. right? Jesus is saying, there are some who do not believe. <laughs> For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Verse 65. And he was saying, For this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. Listen, that's difficult for us to apply to our children as parents. Mm. Because we want the default setting for all of our kids, especially those who are growing up in homes where we make much of Christ. We want the default setting for them to be that they will believe. But what we must pray and what we must seek the Lord regarding is his drawing them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is the Holy Spirit who will draw our children to himself. It's the Holy Spirit who is going to reveal to them truth. He is going to make known Jesus Christ to them. In fact, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So while we're doing all of the other things, and, and by the way, we're going to talk practicality here. We're going to talk about the other things that we must be doing. But while we are doing those things, we must, we must engage prayer. We mm. must seek the Lord that he would make himself real to our children, that they would have an encounter that's undeniable. Amen. Amen. I, I think about growing up in church. 
you know, and I, I knew a lot of things from, from being in church, but there was nothing that could substitute a real life, you know, knowing God, like through situations, through uh, prayer and seeing him bring me through certain things. Like, mm. and that's what I desire for our kids, that they would know him truly, not just in knowledge. That's good to know the scriptures and memorize, like you mm-hmm. said. But man, to truly know him. I mean, it's the difference between Moses and the children of Israel. Yes. Who knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. Mm-hmm. And you see how, you know, Moses's relationship with, with God was. The Bible says he talked with him face to face. Yeah, the Lord like talked a friend. With, like a friend. He knew his ways. And so that's what we want for our children. Man, and you think about what that looks like. And I'm going to continue on with the scriptures here in just a little bit. But you think about what that looks like in our children as they are making decisions about life. Like, can you imagine Mm. children who would seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you desire for me? Lord, Mm. what is the plan that you've mapped out for me as I continue on in my studies, Lord God? um, I I, I praise you that you've made me in your image, that you've given me gifts and abilities. Lord, how do you want to use those? That's a friendship relationship, right? That is a belief that he is real. That's what we all need. Absolutely. (laughs) Too often we set our kids on a trajectory that is just a glorified autopilot. Mm. They're really just called, they're making their own decisions. They're calling all of the shots and then saying, Lord, bless it. Lord, bless it. This is what I want to do. Would you bless it? No, what God wants is for us to be in relationship with him through his son, that we would seek him in every area of our lives. That's, that is a demonstration of our belief. That is a demonstration of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Getting back to John chapter six, this is verse 66. As a result of this, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve. You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him. And this is the point that I wanted to drill down on. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, but he doesn't stop there. In verse 69, he says, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mm. (laughs) We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy one of God. In other words, it doesn't matter how thick the teaching gets. It doesn't (laughs) matter how hard the truth is. We believe and know that you are the Holy one of God. So, so where are we going to go? So if the culture is secularizing, if our kids are secularizing, if our kids are walking away, other kids, let me say it that way, are walking away. We want to raise the kind of kids that we prayerfully introduce to the Lord in such a way that they're like, where are we going to go? Like right. we haven't come to a club. Mm. We, we haven't come to some good moral feelings. We have come to the one who saves our soul. Like, mm. and, and so when we believe that and we know that that's true, it doesn't matter what the trends are. We are going to remain true to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to leave it here. And then tomorrow I want to continue working through this article. And then I want to go back to 2009 Mm -hmm. and I want to look at what Ken Ham uh, wrote in the book already gone and, and just kind of, in some ways I want to lament that we did not apply some of those warnings, but in other ways I want to encourage us to do it now. Um, But I do again, want to run a highlighter over this. When we talk about where secularization begins, we can't just throw this off on the culture. 
we can't just say, well, it's happening out there. It's actually happening in here, here being our homes. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to talk about the, the means by which the culture infiltrates our homes and aids in the secularization of our young people. It cannot be denied. We're going to cover it here. Thank you so much for listening to the Culture Proof Podcast. Listen, when you resist the cultural trends that attack the truth, you remain culture proof. And we want to encourage you to do that until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.